So if you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, turn with me to the book of the Revelation. If uh, you're visiting with us for the first time or the first time in a while, either in person or online, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are in the midst of a series on the seven churches of Revelation, and uh, we took a break a couple of weeks ago. We had a missionary guest with us, but uh, we want to continue. We've talked about the church in Ephesus. We've talked that was uh, uh, three weeks ago, I guess now, uh, the church at Smyrna. And today we're going to look at the third church here in Revelation chapter 2. Look with me beginning in verse number 12. We're going to talk to uh, this morning about the church in Pergamos. And so let's uh, see what the Lord has for us this morning. We'll want to jump right in. And I'm going to preach fast, and uh, I'm going to ask you guys to listen fast. Amen? Well, a few of you are excited, <laughs> or at least you're going along. Anyway, verse number 12, look at what the Bible has to say. Jesus uh, dictating to the Apostle John says, And unto the church in uh, Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Verse number 15, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Verse number 16, Jesus says, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, I pray that today that your word will fall upon the good soil of our hearts. God, that you'll be pleased. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the time that we've already had to sing and worship your holy name. Lord, we thank you for the gift of music. We thank you. Thank you for how it draws our hearts closer to thee and closer to one another. God, I pray that if there's somebody in this room that has never trusted Christ, somebody that's watching that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, God, I pray that today you would make it abundantly clear that you love them and that you love them so much that you sent your Son to die for them and that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that we as a church, those who have already called upon the name of the Lord, those who would declare themselves to be followers of you, I pray that you would draw us close to you. God, that you would remind us of a couple of things today that we might be able to put into play as we go away from your house to better live, to better to serve, and to better grow in the faith. Father, I pray that you'll be honored and glorified through this time of teaching and preaching, and we'll give you the praise for it all. In Jesus' precious name and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, again, it's good to see you, and uh, we're in the uh, third church here, and we've been looking at the seven churches of Revelation. And as you know, we've been talking about going back in history uh, and looking at these seven historical churches in order to learn something that you and I might be able to take and apply 
learn from what was taking place then and take it and apply it to our lives here and now. And in today's message, we're going to see very plainly how easy it is. Now, I think everybody would agree. We're going to find out how easy it is for the world to creep into the church. Anybody think that's taking place in 2021? It's real easy for the world to creep into the church. And historically speaking, if you guys will show the map, good, you're there. Uh, just barely, Pergamos is the, was the most northern of the seven cities and seven churches that we're going to talk about. It was regarded as the chief governmental city of Asia Minor, and thus this would have been the seat of the government's authority in this city. And, uh, and Pergamos was well known. It was a religious city. It was uh, recognized uh, not only for their wealth but fashion. And, you know, I know that Ephesus and, and Smyrna might disagree. You know, Ephesus was the largest city. Uh, Smyrna, they declared themselves to be the best city. But to be honest with you, Pergamos was probably the greatest city in all of Asia Minor. But let me just say this. Although it might have been the greatest, it was probably the most wicked of all cities in Asia Minor. The city was celebrated for having a huge library. And when I say that, everybody goes, you're like twiddling your thumbs. Oh, great, they had a big library. What's the big deal? It would have been a big deal because you see, in that time, uh, books and manuscripts weren't just run on a copier or printed from a computer. They had to be hand copied, and they were copied on papyrus, which was a reed or a, a, a plant-based uh, paper. But the problem in Pergamos was, uh, and, and to be honest, it was the library in the city of Alexandria of Egypt. They didn't want Pergamos's library to grow. And so what happened was Pergamos had a problem getting papyrus. So if you do a little bit of research, you'll find out that Pergamos was the city or the place where the idea of parchment uh, any of you graduating high school or college, you get your uh, diploma or degree on what we call pigskin. The idea of parchment or vellum was developed and cultivated. Uh, it was a paper which was made, as you know, from the hide of an animal. And so this is what would uh, be done in purpose. By the way, interestingly enough, the word parchment is actually derived from the word pergamus. And so there's a little uh, historical fun fact for you. Uh, therefore, the literature and history of this library would have been huge in size and scope. And as I said, it, it ended up being only second in size to the incredible library in the city of Alexandria and uh, in Egypt. And therefore, it would have been an intellectual center of sorts. Historians also reveal that in Pergamos, this is actually when, uh, when the evil cults were disbanded out of Babylon, that many of its leaders would uh, migrate and they would set up shops, so to speak, in the city of Pergamos. And, uh, but what I want us to notice is what Jesus said about himself. Enough of the history of the city. Notice what Jesus says about himself. Look with me in verse number 12. And he tells John this. He says, And unto the angel of the church of Pergamos write these things, saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Hold on, where's the sword? Look back in Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse number 12 of Revelation chapter 1. Just a few verses back. John, he's declaring what's taking place as he gets this vision on the Isle of Patmos. Remember, he's been exiled. He's been banished as a political prisoner of sorts for his faith, for his witness. 
And here's what he says in verse number 12. He says, And I turned to see the voice of him that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about with the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if it were burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Look at verse number 16, and it says, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Folks, the sharp sword that Jesus talks about in Revelation chapter 2 in verse number 12, is the same sword that we see here in Revelation chapter 1. It's the sword that comes out of his mouth. It's the very word of God that he's talking about as his sword. And if you look over in the first part of Revelation chapter 19, all the way near the end of the book of the Revelation, you find in verse number 15 that Jesus says one day that sword that comes out of his mouth is going to be used to smite the nations that reject him. You'd say, wow, can Jesus do all that? Absolutely. Absolutely. The sword that proceeds out of his mouth is the word of God. By the way, the apostle Paul tells us that it's the word that pulls down. It's the weapon. It's our weapon that is mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Oh, my friends, the word of God is sharp. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4 and verse number 12, it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And this is important. You say, why is it important, Pastor? It's important because in our text, in verse number 16, after Jesus says what's good, what's not good, he says these words, repent or else. Anybody ever have your parent do that to you? I did. It was like, you better change your ways, young man, or else, right? You ever heard that? This is what Jesus is saying to the church at Pergamos, and it's, and it's so incredibly important. So let's look at how he diagnosed this church back then. We want to see what was going on back then, remember, so that you and I can take stock of it today and maybe apply it, not only today, but for the days ahead. Amen? All right, so if you're a note taker, hold on with me. I'm going to go just like we did with the church at Ephesus. Number one, I want us to see what's right. Number one, I want us to see what's right. Look at verse number 13. Jesus says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest. So what he says, first of all, he says, I want to commend you. He says, I want to commend you because of the circumstances in which you live. I understand where you live. I want to commend you for how you're living in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Jesus says, I know that you're living in a pagan city. I know that it's the seat of Satan. I know that it's really known in Asia Minor as Satan's city, but I want to commend you for how you're living. I want to tell you, good job. You see, relatively speaking, when you think about this church at Pergamos, this is a small group of people living amongst multitudes and multitudes of people trying to live for God in a set of circumstances that are not so godly. Sound familiar? Sound like 2021? Sound like a, a body of believers in Warrington, Virginia, New Baltimore, Virginia? Sound like it? Want to live for God in a society that's not so godly. Among many other temples there in Pergamos, 
Pergamos was the temple, had the temple of Dionysus. This is the god of revelry or partying. Uh, it was the god of, uh, of big parties. That was, that was a temple that was there in Pergamos. Also, we find the temple of Minerva, the goddess of wisdom. We find the temple of Athena, the goddess of war. However, probably the greatest temple, are you ready for it? Medical workers, doctors, dentists, are you ready for it? Probably the greatest temple in the city of Pergamos was the temple of Asclepius. The temple of Asclepius. You see, the temple of Asclepius was the god of healing. And you see, during this time in the first century, Romans from all over Asia Minor, all over the Roman Empire, if you please, they would come to the city of Pergamos. They would come seeking healing and good health. And when they would arrive in the city, they would go not to the hospital because there really wasn't a hospital of sorts. They would go to the temple of Asclepius. And you guys are already there for me. And this is what was placed on the front of the temple. When you would arrive at the temple of Asclepius, this is what you would see. Does this seem familiar to anybody? Go to the next slide. Does it look familiar? Anybody? Well, there we go. This is what was in the Roman Empire at that time in the city of Pergamos. Now, here's a, here's a little interesting thing. You know, they didn't have doctors or nurses or caregivers at that time. If you came to the city of Pergamos and you were looking for healing or good health, it was said that at the temple of Asclepius, what you would do, are you ready for it? If you're a little squeamish, hold on, because the temple of Asclepius would have been filled with hundreds and hundreds of snakes, non-venomous snakes. And if you needed healing, then all you have to do, sir, ma'am, young person, all you have to do is lie down in the midst of the snakes and take a nap. <laughs> Sounds about like 2021. <laughs> just lie down in the middle of snakes, take a nap. No, I'm just teasing. And the idea was, to watch it, the idea was if you laid down in the temple of Asclepius with these snakes around, if you were lucky enough, one of those non-venomous snakes would slither right up against you, Regina, and give you the health that you desire. This was the type of paganism that was running rampant in the city of Pergamos. And Jesus says, I want to commend you because I know the circumstances in which you live. And I'm so thankful that you're holding up, you're standing up, you're men and women of faith. And he says, I want to commend you for this. By the way, the word scalpel is actually a word that is derived from the word Asclepius. The God of healing. Additionally, in Pergamos, the, one of the ancient wonders of the world, uh, it was the enormous altar or temple to the god Zeus was located in Pergamos. In fact, many believe this is exactly what Jesus was referring to when he talked about Satan's seat. Look with me again in verse number 13. Jesus says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest. See, uh, Pergamos might have been culturally a bright city, but folks, it was, it was like a black hole. It was like a black hole. And I don't know, but I look around in 2021 and I don't see that shining city on a hill, the United States of America anymore. We've turned many regards our back from God. And we wonder what's going on. Oh, the house of God needs to stand up. Listen, Christians in Pergamos were being persecuted. They were being oppressed because of these spiritual cults that were all surrounding them. And as a result, they were struggling to hold on to their deep-seated Christian beliefs. It was a problem. 
Our Lord also commends them not only for the circumstances in which they live, but He commends them for their confident and courageous faith. Look at verse 13. He goes on. He says, And thou holdest fast to my name. I know you're being persecuted. I know that you're being threatened. But I'm so thankful that the majority of you are standing firm despite all that's going on. And if you look at verse 13, he also mentions a, a, a guy by the name of Antipas. You remember last week I was telling you about Polycarp. Polycarp was the pastor of the church at Smyrna. Antipas also was the bishop or pastor of the church now at Pergamos. By the way, he was also a disciple, a personal disciple of the Apostle John. And so what we know from historical tradition and oral records that have been passed down is that Antipas was also like Polycarp told, hey, listen, you better renounce Jesus or you're going to die. And Antipas said, no, I'm not going to renounce Jesus. In fact, it was said that when they brought uh, Antipas to the Roman proconsul, the Roman proconsul looked at him and says, don't you know that I have the power to take your life? <laughs> to which Antipas said, don't you know I have the power to lay my life down? Don't you know I have the power to take your life? And Antipas said, don't you know I have the power to lay my life down? The Roman proconsul also said these words. He says, he says, listen, the whole world's against you. Why don't you shut up and renounce Jesus? And he says, I'm against the whole world. And he was burned at the stake for his faith. This is what kind of men and women were standing firm for the word of God. As we read here in the book of the Revelation, and interestingly enough, if you look in your own Bible, it's fact, it's not, it's not fake news. If you look in Revelation chapter 1, in verse number 5, the Bible regards Jesus as the faithful witness. And in Revelation chapter 3, and verse number 14, the Bible declares Him as the faithful and true witness. You say, what's the big deal? Antipas and these other believers in Pergamos were standing firm for their faith. They were faithful witnesses. And Antipas, Jesus says, I commend you for your confident and courageous faith. Even while Antipas, my faithful witness, died as a martyr, you stood. Oh, would that be said of us? That we would stand no matter what happens to the pastor, the music leader, the youth leader, or whatever. That you would continue to stand for the things of God. You say you're fired up a little bit. Just a little bit. I'll probably get going here in a minute. But notice what Jesus says that was wrong. You see, very quickly he says what's right, but then he immediately moves to what's wrong. And in verse number 14 and 15, we see this. You see, he had recognized the circumstances in which they had lived. He had actually celebrated their confident and, and courageous faith, but here he reveals the areas of their faith that they had compromised. He says, you've become compromisers. Guys, God help us never to become compromisers. Don't be a compromiser. Just be stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Look in verse number 14. Jesus says, I have a few things against thee because there are them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast out a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Now, folks, let me just say this and I hope you agree. The devil is slick. That dude is slick. He's not only a deceiver, he's a destroyer, he's a ruler, he's out to take care and take control of your life. And I say, don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. Oh, he's a slick one. By the way, 
he has a method to attack Battlefield Baptist Church. Don't think he doesn't. If he had a method to take on Pergamos and Ephesus and all these other churches, he has a method for us. Listen, in fact, I put here his schemes are not random. He has schemes that are very, very specific. His schemes are calculated. You think about it with the church at Ephesus. I put down in my notes his desire was to diminish their love for God. When you think about the church at Smyrna, he used persecution. Remember, Jesus told the church at Smyrna, be faithful unto death. He said, some of you are going to have to be uh, hogtied for the faith. He said, just be faithful unto death. And then here you see in Pergamos, he decides to weaken the church through corruption and compromise. Oh, to be sure, church history reveals that this church in Pergamos, watch this, it represents a transition. You see, before Pergamos, churches were holding fast to the Word of God. They were like the Apostle Paul. Remember the Apostle Paul said, if anyone comes to you preaching a, a, an alternate or a false gospel, he said, let them be accursed in, in the book of Galatians. Well, before Pergamos, churches were pretty much holding firm to the Word of God. But in Pergamos, things started to happen. That's why it's so important that we understand the names of places and people in history because they all have vital meanings. And if we're not aware of it, sometimes we just fail to see it. Sometimes I'd say we, we ignore it, but sometimes we just fail to see it if we don't do our homework and study history. You see, the, the actual word Pergamos comes from, it, it comes, it's a name which is derived from the Greek prefix per, and I put it up there for you good. The Greek uh, prefix per meaning much or abundance, but it also comes from the word gamos, which means marriage. So you put those together and you find out that the city of Pergamos was the city of much marriage or polygamy. Hello. The city of much marriage or polygamy. This is what's taking place. And it was pastor and teacher Phil Hopper who aptly put it this way. I was watching his uh, series on this. And this is how he describes the church at Pergamos. He says this, Pergamos is the church that married the world. Oh my gracious. God help us never to be the church that marries the world. He says Pergamos is the church that married the world. He went on to say that they were responsible for prostituting the truth of God with the lies of paganism. Oh my friends. This is what was running rampant in the city of Pergamos. And if you look back at verse number 14, Jesus condemns some of those within the church who had actually become advocates, advocates of the doctrine of Balaam. And if you don't know the story of Balaam, you need to go back to the book of Numbers and read from Numbers chapter 22 to, verses, to chapter 29. And Balaam, he's this pagan prophet in the Old Testament. And let's just put it this way. He's a prophet for hire. Right? And if you don't know the story, there's a Moabite king by the name of Balak. And he hates Israel. He's an enemy of Israel. And he comes to Balaam. Louise, you know this story. Louise has probably taught it a hundred times. He comes to Balak, right? Or, and, uh, or Balak comes to Balaam and says, Hey, listen, I want you to curse Israel. And Balaam says, Need a little money. And so Balak comes up with the goods, gives him money. But wouldn't you know, every time Balaam tries to curse Israel, out of his mouth comes a blessing. He opens his mouth, and out comes a blessing. He's trying to curse Israel. He's like, give me some more money. Maybe that ain't enough money. 
And he keeps on opening up his mouth. And every time he opens up his mouth, the blessing comes out. Balak's getting a little frustrated with the whole process, to be sure. And the reality is that finally Balaam, he understands that he's up against the God of all gods. Amen? And uh, he says, well, I can't curse him, so here's what you do. Just cast a stumbling block in front of the men of Israel. And Balak says, how do I do that? He says, well, just send the Moabite women out there and tempt the men of Israel and put a stumbling block in front of them. And what resulted were the men of Israel. The men of Israel were participating in idolatrous sacrifices. They were committing sexual, uh, they were committing sexual immorality, if you please. And if you read on in the story, you'll find that it was only by the grace of God that only 24,000 men died. God allowed them to die because they were allowing, watch this, they were allowing corruption to compromise their faith. This is what Jesus was saying to the church at Pergamos. He says, some of y'all are like those that are holding to the doctrine of Balaam. By the way, the doctrine of Balaam is essentially, listen, if you can't curse them, if you can't destroy them, then, do, then go about corrupting them. If you can't destroy them, then corrupt them. And this is the doctrine of Balaam. And Jesus was saying, listen, there's some that are holding to this doctrine. Evidently, they had not learned their lesson from history. They were holding this doctrine and they wanted to indulge themselves in these pagan practices. And that's exactly what took place. But if you look in verse number 15, Jesus continues. He says, watch what he says. He says, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. You remember, it was back in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 6. The church at Ephesus, they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. But now, only two churches later, Jesus says, there's some in the church that don't hate the deeds. There's some in the church who have adopted their deeds and doctrine. There's a problem. They've started living this life according to this false teaching. And I shared with you a few weeks back that the Nicolaitans were, a, were an early sect of Christianity that crept into churches and they were, they were purporting all type of false gospel, false teaching and heresy. They believed it was lawful to eat things sacrificed to idols. They believed in the separation of body and spirit. You know, remember I told you that means what I do in my body doesn't matter. Since, since, since my, my spirit is sitting in heavenly places, then I can do whatever I want with my body. This was one of the things they taught. They also taught and believed in this idea of creating a division in the body of Christ. They were a cult of intellectuals, watch this, that wanted to control the word of God and control the people of God. Now be careful with this doctrine of the Nicolaitans, it's so incredibly important for us. They wanted to control the knowledge and the Word of God so that they could control the people of God. Oh yes, the false doctrines of the Nicolaitans is not supported anywhere in Scripture. In fact, I, if you think it is, you're amiss, but you can go ahead and search all you want. It's not supported in Scripture, which is so mind-boggling when you see so many today that are adhering to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You see, this doctrine that's not supported in Scripture ultimately led to the point where bishops and archbishops 
began to dominate the people. And I shared with you about a month ago when we started this series that the, the Nicolaitans, their actual name comes from the Greek word Nikolaos, and it literally means to be victorious over the people. Guys, this was the doctrine that some in Pergamos had begun to hold to. If you break it down further, I think it's on the screen, you'll see that um, the word nikos literally means to conquer or triumph in the word laos or laity or people. So the idea of conquering or triumphing over the people. And again, you say, what's the big deal? Guys, the big deal is that compromise is at play again. Because see, the people of God were now listening to false teaching rather than the Word of God. They were like, hmm, I think it's important that we add this in. No, listen, you better not add anything into Jesus' Word. Oh, I think that we can just do away with this. No, you better not subtract anything from God's Word either. Man, we'll be in trouble. And this is why Jesus was condemning them. Compromise was at play. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans is a pivotal moment in church history. And while, let me just say this, because I'm going to say a couple of things here in just a few seconds of time. This, this is not meant to disrespect anyone or any church. Does everybody understand that? Please hear my heart. What I'm sharing with you is not an attack on any person, anyone's uh, doctrinal position or their, or their church that they say they come from. I'm just wanting to share with you what history records. And this is biblical and also historical. You see, this teaching of the Nicolaitans, this teaching of spiritual separation, is actually what led in large part to the early Roman Catholic Church. Again, this is not an attack on the Roman Catholic Church. This is not an attack on anybody who comes from that background. This is what led to the early beginnings of it. By the way, if you, I don't know what they teach in school now, but if you went to history class back when I was in school, you would have learned about the middle, the medieval, or the dark ages. Anybody refer, ever heard those phrases before? Now, I know it's not politically correct to refer to it as anything other than the middle or medieval ages, but the reason it was called the dark ages is because of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You see, what happened was it was referred to the dark ages because the common man was kept in dark according to what the light of God's word had to say. Pergamos is where bishops and archbishops began to dominate the people. And for a thousand years, guys, look it up, it's history. A thousand years, people were prevented from having the written word of God in their possession. And if you did, you were, cru you were not crucified, you were burned at the stake. If, you, if, if the clergy, if the highly exalted clergy found you with the word of God, you would be persecuted. That's how they kept the common man in dark. That's called the medieval ages, the middle ages, the dark ages, whatever you want to call it. And again, please understand me, this is not a condemnation on anyone or any church. It's just a matter of historical record. And you know what Jesus said? When he talked to the church of Ephesus, he says, hey, I want to congratulate you because there's some of you there, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He says, he says, I want to congratulate you because I hate their deeds as well. But by the time we get to Pergamos, Jesus says, hey, listen, I have somewhat against thee 
Because some of you are holding to the doctrine of Balaam. And guess what? Some of you are holding to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. You say, well, why did Jesus hate it? He hated it because it was in direct opposition to His Word. That's why He hated it. It was in direct opposition to His Word. And anything, anything that comes between Him and you and me and Him, He hates it. Friends, as believers, if you've never heard this before, you are an individual priest. You're an individual priest. You're like, what? I didn't... Thank you. I didn't know I was a priest. Let me walk this way. Hmm. I feel... Don't get your halo on too tight. But the Bible talks about us being individual priests. In fact, Peter writes... He writes... In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse number 5, he confirms this by saying, As lively or living stones, we are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God by who? Jesus Christ. He says we are a priesthood. If you, you've heard this passage before, just a few verses later, writing to those uh, dispersed Jewish believers, we too, are declared in 1 Peter 2.9. We are a chosen generation, a royal, there it is, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of Him that has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Amen? Hey, by the way, uh, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, everything that He did on the cross, everything that Jesus did on the cross can never be erased by the Nicolaitans or anyone. When he said it's finished, that's exactly what he meant. In fact, Paul writes to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verse number 5. Guys, if we have that, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Folks, you don't need to come through me to pray to God. You can do it all on your own. That's good news. That's great news. You don't have to come to me to confess your sins. You can do that right with God. Do you know I don't go to my children to confess if I commit an error, a mistake towards my wife? I don't want to say sin because I don't purposely sin against my wife. But do you know that I won't go to my children and say, hey, uh, could you go to your mother and tell her I'm so sorry for what I did. Thank you. I just don't do it. I don't do it. I better go in front of she who must be obeyed or there's going to be problems. Sadly, it was during this period of church history the people, watch it, they began to hold on to pagan practices. You got God's word over here, but they started reaching out and holding on to pagan practices and other mythical teachings in addition to the Word of God. And Jesus didn't like it. So what needs to be done? Look at verse number 16. Verse number 16, Jesus quite simply says, Repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Again, folks, this is the same message today. If you or I or anyone is holding on to something other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified, if you're listening to anyone or anything other than the Word of God, 
Jesus says, you need to let go of it. You need to turn around because you got yourself in a bind. You need to repent. But notice what he says in verse 17. He doesn't stop there by saying stop it or repent. Oh, just like a loving Lord. What's what he says in verse 17? He gives two promises. He gives two promises for those who will separate themselves from any pagan practice. And he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in a stone a new name written, which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth. In other words, Jesus was saying then, and I believe he's saying now, folks, watch it. Hold fast to the truth of my word. 2021, hold fast because there's going to be some slick characters that come along and they're going to tell you to hold on to something other than me. And I'm telling you, just keep holding on to me because like the song says, I'm more than enough. I'm more than enough. You don't need all the additions, all the things that people are trying to purport to you. All you need is me. Just hold on to Jesus. That's what he was saying then and that's what he's saying now. Any belief, any practice that stands in opposition to the Word of God. Church, you know what we need to do? We need to reject it. We need to say, nah, we ain't playing that game. Get out of here. By God's grace, that's what I'm going to continue to do. I'm going to continue to kick that junk to the curb. There are a lot of stuff that goes on in churches today that has no business going on in churches today. We need to stand firm and protect the purity of God's Word. And this is what he was saying. He says, protect it from false doctrine. Protect it from these evil teachers. There's some other obvious prophetic applications in verse number 17 that we really don't have time to go into, but I also believe there are some personal applications as well. In verse number 17, he tells, he says, hold fast. And him that does this, watch what he says. He says, "Uh, I'm going to give you the hidden manna. Personally speaking, I believe, you know, like I said, prophetically we could go on and on, but personally I believe Jesus is saying there's no need to sit down. There's no need to hang out. There's no need to dine at the tables of pagan practice. All you need is me. He says my provisions are enough. Just hold on. I'm going to give you the hidden manna from heaven. I'll sustain you. Isn't that what he did with the children of Israel out in the wilderness? And they hated it. He gives them manna, 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 and they kept on hating. And then they cried for quail. You remember what happened there, right? He said, okay, you want quail? I'll give you quail. You need to go read that story. They had quail till it was coming out of their nostrils. <laughs> Sometimes we, we struggle to be satisfied, don't we? We're always looking for the next best thing looking for the next greatest, greatest church. We're looking for the next whatever, whatever, whatever. And Jesus says, here I am. When I said it was finished, that's exactly what I meant on the cross. It hadn't changed one iota. He said, just keep holding on to me. You don't need any pagan practice. You don't need any mythical uh, creation of the world. You just need me. You need to worship me in spirit and truth. And then he says this. He says, hold fast. He says, hold fast. Not only am I going to give you the hidden manna, but he says, hold fast because guess what? In me, you've already been acquitted. In me, you've already been acquitted for all eternity. You say, well, what's he talking about there? you got the white stone and the black stone. I'm not, I'm Pastor, I mean, you know, it's 2021. It's kind of difficult. What are we talking about? Uh, What he's talking about is back in the day, there were jurors and judges and juries. And if you were suspected of a crime, 
you would go before, just like today, you would go before a judge and jury. And the jury would go out and they each member of the jury would have a white stone and a black stone. And they would come back and they would drop a white stone or a black stone in the box. The white stone meant acquittal. The black stone meant condemnation. And Jesus just says, hold on. He says, hold on. Just stand fast in the faith because with me, you have more enough. With me, you've already been acquitted. Listen, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to be with you each and every day of your life if you'll just hold on. That's what he's saying to the church today. Why are you getting so worked up, pastor? Because I just want to hold on. I just want to hold on. When the world tells me to do stuff that isn't biblical, I just want to hold on. When the world tells me that wrong is right and right is wrong, I just want to hold on. When the world is telling us that, we're, that Jesus is no longer alive, when the world is trying to confuse and condemn and corrupt the church, I just want to beg you with me, hold on. That's all I know to do. That's all I know to do. Just hold on. Say, Pastor's been rough. 2020's been rough. Just hold on. 2021 isn't any better yet. Just hold on. Pastor, I'm sick. Hold on. Pastor, I don't feel good. Just hold on. Because the imminent return of Christ is upon us. You say, do you believe he's coming tomorrow? I didn't say that. I said it's imminent. It's going to happen. Just like the sun comes up every day. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. You better quit guessing about when he's going to come and just keep holding on. Keep looking up because our redemption draws nigh. By the way, I close with one verse of Scripture. Pretty much says it all. No, not the verse you think, baby. Philippians 1. In verse number 6, the Apostle Paul told the church at Philippi, he said, I'm confident. I'm confident I'm not scared. I'm committed, I'm confident, because He that began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know I'm confident that He who has begun a good work in you and me and anyone who's watching that's trusted Christ, He's going to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? You know what our job is? Hold on. You say, well, I'm, I'm kind of weak in this hand. Hold on with both hands. Get on there with feet. Do whatever you got to do. You don't let go of Jesus. Quit listening to the world. And let's get back to listening to Jesus. The author and the finish of our faith. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am. And we'll start to see some things take place not only in this church, but in this region of Virginia and then all around the United States. Wouldn't it be great if we saw a revival break out in this country one more time? I'd like to see revival break out before Jesus returns. You say, why? Are you kidding me? I believe there's going to be enough people already wide-eyed when they see that sky break and our Lord return. Just hold on. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. God, the admonition today is to hold on. Lord, I don't know what your people are going through, but you know what I'm going through. You know what every one of us are going through. And so, Lord, my prayer for me and for this church 
And for those that are watching, those that have not rejoined us in person yet, those who are watching from other places of the world, is that they would just hold on. Hold on. And to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, they're wondering how they can hold on. God, I pray that you'd break their heart right now. That they'd call out and ask Jesus to forgive them. That they would come and they would come before your throne in humility and say, Lord, please forgive me. I realize that I'm a sinner. And I don't understand it all, but I need you to forgive me. I need you to come into my life. I need you to change me from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you'll do that with those that are in this room, those that are watching. Lord, those that may watch in the days ahead. Lord, for those that are here that know Christ as their Savior, God, I pray that you would encourage their hearts in the midst of all these teachings, all these false mysteries and pagan practices that seem to be running rampant even in 2021. God, that you would encourage them to be strengthened in the spirit of their mind, that they would just hold on by faith. They would rest in you. They would feast upon that hidden manna understanding that they have already been acquitted in Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Lord, that they would understand that and that they would celebrate that. Lord, I pray that you have been honored and that you have been glorified in this place today. God, I pray that you would continue to work in our midst as a church family as we see the day approaching that we would continue to be those people that want to fall more in love with you that we want to fall more in love with your word and with one another. And God, that we would go out from your house, that we would be light, that we would be salt, that we would love people enough to tell them about Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will do this. I pray that you'll be honored in this. God, I love you. And I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy in my life. I thank you for your protection and provision. I thank you for always being there. I thank you for always guiding me in spirit and truth. When darkness comes, when false teaching comes, Lord, I thank you for illuminating my mind and my heart to walk with you by faith. God, I pray that you'll continue to do that for all of us. Lord, and we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. For it's in Jesus' precious name and for his sake, we pray amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.